Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of the Let's Run.com Track Talk podcast. It is a special World Indoor Championships preview edition. In 24 hours, well, less than 24 hours at this point, Robert Johnson and I will be in Serbia for the World Indoor Championships, the first ones in four years. And we're going to spend the bulk of today's episode previewing that meet. Got some big-time storylines in this. A lot of the top pros have showed up. Not everyone. But 12 Olympic champions are going to be there. Who will win the big-time showdowns in the men's 3,000 and the women's 400? Will Kelly Hodgkinson win her first global title? Or can RJ Wilson of the United States finally break through for gold in the women's 800? How fast will Jakob Ingebrigtsen and Grant Holloway go? And who wins the big men's 60 meters between world champ Christian Coleman and Olympic champ Marcel Jacobs? We're going to preview all of that. Plus, we've got Ruth Chepengedich running super fast and getting super rich at the Nagoya Marathon in Japan. And we now know Newbury Park will be racing the pen relays against the On Athletics Club. We'll weigh in our opinions on that. This is Jonathan Galt. I'm joined just by Robert Johnson. Weldon Johnson, our third tri-host, is away on vacation at the moment. And Robert, it's, it's good to be talking to you about track and field. I'm excited to do it because... We're going to be doing it a lot over the next week. Once we get to Serbia, we will have live post-meet video shows reacting on the day's action on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Those will all go off at roughly 6 p.m. Eastern time or 11 p.m. Serbia time. And if you can't watch them live, we will be releasing them in podcast form. But to get access to those, you need to join the Let's Run.com supporters club you can do that by going to letsrun.com slash subscribe you'll get on-demand access to all our insights and unfiltered takes from world indoors in serbia robert how are we doing today Uh, you must be excited you excited to go to serbia am i here john can you hear me is this working i can't believe i'm on this podcast i mean it's been an incredible week you didn't even mention we were in birmingham i feel like i just got back Travel from hell. F you. Should I say the name of the airline? Thousands of dollars. $250 Uber ride with Samantha Hayes? No. Allie Hayes. Allie Hayes' parents, Vincy State. Crazy travel story. We don't, I don't even have time to get into that. And then you lied. I will not be in Serbia within 24 hours because it's going to take me a long time from there. But... The reason I said, can you hear me, was I was fearful that I was going to be canceled for what happened on my flight down to Birmingham. Had a lovely conversation with a 25-year-old recent college grad. At the end of the conversation, we were talking sports at a very dicey current event. I was trying to convince her of something. At the end of the conversation, she said, hey, what's your name again and what's your website? Can I get your phone number? Now, there was zero sexual here. I told my wife about it. And she said, oh, my God, you're going to be canceled. So John doesn't want to tell – John thinks y'all will be bored about what I'm going to – what happened, what the conversation was about. I have not been canceled as of one week, it looks like. But at the end of this podcast, for people that do want to hear the inside scoop, I will give it to the subscribers only. So that was crazy. Getting these COVID tests is crazy. John well, had a well, fake – I mean, we're talking about this stuff. Okay, so – I've been freaking out about this COVID test because I got COVID in the middle of January 
and you know, I got a little sick. I recovered. I'm good. I got a note from my doctor saying I can travel. That's accepted that I don't even need to take a test to go to Serbia or to come back to the US because if you've had COVID within the last 90 days and you have a doctor's note, that suffices because you can test positive up to 90 days afterwards on a PCR test. So I'm freaking out because you need a PCR test to get a media credential for the world championships. I got my test yesterday. I must have woken up five times in the middle of the night, Robert, with either dreams that I had checked my phone and I had been cleared or that I was woke up and I'm like, should I check it and see if my test results in? I was freaking out. I looked this morning. Oh, I got a test at CVS. I'm looking on the CVS website and it says positive. And I'm freaking out. I'm like, oh my God, I'm not going to be able to get a credential. I'm going to fly all the way to Serbia and have to cover this thing from my Airbnb apartment. And then I realized, Robert, what I had done wrong here. I was looking at a COVID test I got in January, the initial positive test for when I tested positive. I get an email. It says, actually, the test you took tomorrow. Oh, sorry. The test you took on Tuesday before departure is negative. So I'm all clear. I'm going to clear all the protocols. I will get my credential. I'll be in the stadium in Serbia. Very thankful for that. But it was been very, very stressful last 48 hours here. Well, John, it's official. We're a married couple. This is the second time in like three or four months we've been eagerly awaiting a, a test. And what are we going to do? Are we ready? Can we handle the pressure? <laughs> and another quick story here. When we were in the media room at the NCAA meet, John and I sitting next to each other, kind of screaming at each other. What would be the right word? Not screaming, but working. I see. I had some short cut conversations, you know, maybe a, a little slight frustration in the air. And the guy next to us, the Alabama SID is like, how long have you guys been married? We yell at each other like a married couple. We get test results like a married couple. But after that, John, I really did try to improve my behavior around you and treat you with more respect. Walden's always trying to tell me to treat you better as an employee. But I just treat you like I treat Walden, which is total crap. <laughs> no, no, you showed me a good time. We, You dragged me out to the bar on Friday night in Birmingham, which I was grateful for. I felt a little embarrassed. I was, you know, I'm 31. Robert is, what, 15 or 16 years my senior or something like that. We get back, we finish our meet coverage at about 12.15 a.m. And Robert's like, I'm going out. There's a bar right around the corner. Now it's like cold and windy and I'm really tired because we traveled. I'd gotten up at like 4.30 in the morning because I got my flight to Alabama that morning. I was like, nah, Robert, I'm just going to bed. And then he's like, well, I'm going to go out alone. And I'm like, I can't do this. I, I'm in Birmingham for like two nights and... My boss, who's in his, you know, middle 40s, he's going out and I'm not. I can't, th this can't stand. So we went out, we had a few beers, had a good time, got some great barbecue on Saturday. So I had a great weekend with you in Birmingham, Robert, and I'm looking forward to another good trip in Serbia. Great to hear it. I'm just going to treat you better. It's like, you, I always vow to treat my wife better. I'll treat you better too. Yeah, people don't understand that when you're old, like, this is like my one opportunity all year to go to a bar. So I, just, I wanted to say I did it. No, I did it. We're back. Anyway, all right. Let's so talk briefly about NCAs. I mean, we broke it down in great detail for the supporting club members in our bonus podcast on Sunday morning or whatever it was. But to me, I, I think that the question I was asking, we only want to spend five minutes on this, is what will we remember about this meet in five years, if anything? And to me, I, I think that it's going to be Abdi Hamid Noor for NAU. 
I mean, he's arrived. I think he's going to have a professional career for the U.S. He's probably going to make a world championship team. Or he's at least got a good shot at it. And for the women, Caitlin Tuohy. I know she didn't win a race, but she's going to have a very successful college career. Will she be a big-time pro? That's still to be determined. I mean, her sophomore year in high school self would have been competitive in CAs. So the fact that she's, she's competitive isn't some amazing thing, but it's pretty cool to see her struggle like that and come back. We also saw it in the mile with, uh, help me out with her name. Michaela DeGenero. She's a, she's this sixth year in college, four years at Michigan. She didn't really improve at all. And then gets to Colorado in her second year at Colorado. She's the national champion with a, a huge move, 6107 for her last 400. So I always said, you know, talent doesn't go away unless you're like, Sometimes, unless you're an 18 year old, you know, a 16 year old teenage woman, then it's, I thought it might go away, but it looks like it's come back for these women. And once once you PR after 19, I feel like, hey, you're good to go. Well, wait a minute. I, can we? This is a little revisionist history here. Like, we're saying Caitlin Tui, it went away. I'm not really sure it did. Like, okay, she wasn't demolishing people as a senior in high school the same way she was in her ju- sophomore and junior years, but. And she didn't make NCAAs on the track last year, but she didn't really race all that much on the track indoors. Outdoor, then in cross country, she gets 24th as a true freshman. That's pretty good, Robert. Outdoors, okay, yeah, she doesn't qualify for NCAAs, but then in cross country, she's second at ACC, she's 15th at NCAAs. I think, and for part of this, part of her collegiate career, she has been injured. So to say, like, she kind of went away. I don't know if that's totally accurate. She wasn't up at the very, very front like she is now. But I think a lot of people would take two All-American honors in cross-country for their first two collegiate seasons. Fair enough. But I just think it's cool. Like, her family was there. She gave her brother a big kiss. She, she's really enjoying it. She's having a fun time. And I don't know. The bond of a college cross-country team is, is a lifelong-lasting bond. And I know that some of these people like Mary Kane and Hobbs Kessler, you know, have probably seven figures in their bank account, but it's it's an experience that they can't buy. Yeah. I liked seeing it for sure. The couple other storylines, I'm not sure if these will be lasting storylines, but I thought it was really, really impressive what the Texas mid distance crew did because Texas won the team title with 47 points 25 of those came from the mid-distances. They won the DMR, they got second and fourth in the 800, and they got seventh in the mile. And I don't think coming in, anyone was saying like, oh man, Texas, they're loaded in the mid-distance events. You know, they, they did qualify three guys to NCAAs in the 800. They did well, but they went out and outperformed those seeds at NCAAs, got a whole bunch of points, and that DMR victory was really cool. So, you know, credit to Pete Watson, Credit to Edric Florial getting his first national title as a head coach. He is Jonathan Jones's coach, even though Jonathan Jones is a mid-distance runner. Florial trains him. So I thought that was pretty cool. I thought the men's 60 with Devontae Burnett from USC winning it twice. I mean, how clutch is that? He runs 652, which is a PB. He wasn't like a top seed or anything coming to this meet. Runs 652, a PB in the final. And then they say, oh, wait, there was a full start. You didn't hear it. We're going to rerun the final. Rest for 17 minutes. Comes back. He runs 650, which is even faster. Another PB. So I thought that was one of the and one of the things I think we want to address here is the TV coverage basically just cut out 
during this event in the meet. Like viewers were confused; they didn't know what's going on. I just, what? I, did we ever get an explanation about that, Robert? Do you know anything about this? No, I was watching in person, so sometimes technology fails. But no, the, the sixty was crazy in the sense of I'm sitting there because it was right after the mile, right? So the gun goes off. I'm looking for Matthew Bowling running. I don't see any white guys running. So I'm like, what's going on? Then they said they're going to rerun it. And I, I'm sitting there with a very prominent NCAA coach. And admittedly, this coach is a distance coach. And he says, I guess we know who's not going to win the 60 final. You know, and, and he or I guess we know who's going to, going to win the 60 final. And he, his implication was it was going to be one of the people that didn't run the race, meaning Bowling or the other guy. Well, no, bowling was way back. The guy that won it the first time also won it the second time. And his coach went into this extensive description of creatine phosphate and firing and blah, blah, blah. So I would like to talk to someone who actually knows sprinting, physiology, maybe Dan Paff or something. Like, was this predictable that somebody would do better in the second race? I mean, he ran faster the second time, 20 minutes later. Like, maybe everybody should be, you know, warming up and just firing a gun 20 minutes before the actual race so that they get ready for the final. So that was cool. And then, yeah, the Texas stuff was crazy. I mean, I've known Pete Watson. He's younger than me, John, for a long time through Tom McArdle, Dartmouth legend. And I see him on Saturday right before the meet starts. I said, hey, congratulations on the DMR. You know, I thought it was a nice story. I was like, you know, Texas got some points. He's got, I got to go. I'm kind of, I think we're going to win a national championship today. I was like, What? I was like, we scored the top five ranked teams. We didn't even bother to score you. He's like, and he showed me a spreadsheet. And it ended up being pretty damn accurate as to what they were going to get to and how many points you needed to win. So that was cool. And I also thought that, you know, their DMR anchor, Yasin Abdallah, I mean, his high school times weren't great. 419, 918. I know some old timers are going to think those are pretty good times. They're not good anymore. And same thing with Noor. He was even slower, right, in high school. And now they're big players in the NCAA scene. Look, you've got to be talented. If you're some 945 guy right now and you think I'm going to be an NCAA champion, that's almost certainly not going to happen. I thought when I coached at Cornell, I could take every 935 two-miler like my brother and turn him into a 2806 guy. That normally doesn't happen, but occasionally it does. Um, now, Abdullah's times are misleading. As Pete Watson said, like, look, if you're top five in the Texas State cross-country meet, you're a talent, and we want you at the University of Texas. So cool stories there. All right. World Indoors, this is going to be amazing. I mean, we've been saying it for a long time. And one of the reasons why I'm going is I want to shame people into going to this meet. Like, we need more majors. This is a major. It may not be Wimbledon. Maybe it's the equivalent of the Australian Open. But there's some big names there. You know, the reigning Olympic champion has never run this event, the 100-meter champion. And he is this year, Marcel Jacobs. And he's racing the reigning 100-meter world champion, which has only happened one other time, Christian Coleman. I mean, uh, Maurice Green, 1999, did run it. So... What a matchup. And what I want to know, John, is before we break down this race, is is everyone who was insinuating that Marcel Jacobs was not racing last year was because he was doped? And I kind of went there last year, now apologizing to him, because he's been racing a full schedule this winter, which 100-meter stars never hardly ever do. And to me, this is a if you want to believe in him being clean, this is a much better sign that he's clean because he didn't just ride off into the sunset with retirement. What? I mean, I think that's kind of a ridiculous premise. Like, he was going to start racing eventually. It's not like, I don't think the people who said, oh, he stopped racing after the Olympics were saying, he's never going to race again. They were saying, oh, this he just ran the best performance of his entire life, 
And now when there's a lot more scrutiny on him, when he might be, you know, tested more often at these competitions, and he's going to be tested regardless out of competition after you win the Olympic hundred, but they're saying, you know, maybe he, that was when he was at the peak of, you know, whatever he may have been on. That's why he stopped competing then. But yeah, everyone was accepting he was going to compete again this year. I do think the criticism of Jacobs has been a bit unfair. Like, look, I get that we should be skeptical of someone who goes from never breaking 10 seconds to running 9.8 twice in the span of two hours and 9.80 to win the Olympics. Like, that's a re- that's a crazy improvement, even when you consider that he was a long jumper until recently, and that he'd had some, you know, injury issues. But I do think, like, the whole, you know, and I'm guilty of this. I guess I wrote it in our meet preview, but everyone, everyone says, oh, there's some skepticism about him because of his improvement. He had this relationship with a nutritionist who was involved in some steroid probe but has now been cleared. You know, at some point you just, you know, I guess I'm not saying we should say, oh, every athlete, if they haven't tested positive, they must be clean. But I do think this has taken an oversize. It's a, it's a bigger part of his story and he's just tried to keep his head down and do you know, try to be like, try to move on. I don't know. It's, it's put him in a difficult position, but yeah, I was glad he came out and competed indoors. Again, we, like you said, it's rare for the Olympic hundred meter champion to do this, but my thinking was maybe he grew up racing indoors every year in Italy before he was big. He won the Euro indoors last year in 647. That's the race that put him on the map really in global sprinting. So he might, maybe he's just like, I want to come back and do it. And now we get this, Added bonus, Coleman's coming back from his ban. He's running this meet because he's pr- quite po- probably the greatest 60-meter sprinter we've ever seen. And they get to square off. It's the matchup we did not get to see at the Olympics, and it's happening with a gold medal on the line. You can't really ask for much more than this. Should be fantastic. I think I should add a poll. I mean, I think you and I are firmly in the belief that Coleman's better at 60 meters for sure and we'll, we'll win this. But I, if I put a poll up, what do you think it would be? 75, 80% for Coleman? Yeah, I bet about 80%. I mean, here's the thing about Coleman is at his absolute best, you know, we're talking 2018, 2019 form. I don't think anyone in history is touching him in this event. But and he's he's also run 645 this year, which is tied for the world lead. And I think he's only going to get better you know, these, those were his only two races, USA's and Milrose. Those were his only two 60 races since his ban. You know, 2020, he ran USA's and then didn't race at all for basically two years. So I think as he continues to get back into racing shape, he's only going to improve. But I will say this for Jacobs. He has a knack for performing when it matters. You know, he ran that 647 last year in the European Indoor Final. He ran PRs in all three rounds at the Olympics, including 980 in the final. So he has shown, based on 2021, he raises his game when it matters. Can he do it against Coleman, one of the greatest starters we've ever seen? I don't. I think even with a great race, it's going to be tough to beat Coleman. But I don't know. That's why they run the race, and that's why I'm excited to see this showdown. So I would argue that's the best sprint race of the meet, even though it's only six seconds. There is another good one. On the women's side, 400. Robert, did you see the entries here? We've got Femke Boll of the Netherlands, who just ran 50-30 at the Dutch Championships. And she's taking on Shawnee Miller-Webo, who is the two-time defending Olympic 400 champion. Now, a lot of people would say, well, Shawnee Miller-Webo's run 48-3 outdoors. You know, that was her last race, the Olympic final. 
why are we even discussing this? But I guess I, I would throw this out. Is there any chance Femke Bowl could beat her? Or do you just have this as a lock for Mila Weibo? I think there's a chance because she hasn't raced this year, Mila Weibo. So I'm, just, I'm excited when people show up. And you guys, if you haven't seen it, John's published a preview looking at the seven best events. This is one of them. We really tried to promote the whole thing because, look, when you're watching track, I, I mean, I, I was realizing this in NCAs. I mean, we're so busy interviewing everybody. We don't have time to really watch the whole meet, but it really helps to know the storylines for almost everything because even if you're waiting for the 800 to go off, you've got to watch the 60 hurdles or whatever. It's helpful to be more informed. It makes it more enjoyable. So, um, you know, that should be a good one. I'm a little bit distracted. I'm trying to find betting odds here. can't find figure out if this is actually... This says this is the betting odds, but ooh, I found them. Is this right? It says World Indoor Championships 2022. Is Roy Linkletter running, John, for Canada? He's listed as one of the... He is not in the entries, Robert. Yeah, these aren't odds, are they? Darn it. I want to know what the odds, they're odds for. Rory Linkletter is listed in some betting odds for what? I don't know, but I found several websites that list runners, and they try to think it's a betting website, so you'll go there. It's got Burma, Borrega, Jacob Krop, Joshua Johnson. Okay, well, Robert, yeah, so we, we previewed, you did a great job previewing the men's and women's distance races. I did a more general viewing guide. You know, we talked about the sprints a little bit. In terms of the distance stuff, what is the race you're most excited for this weekend? Did you say men or either one? Men or women. That's a really good question. I'm excited for almost all of them for a different reason. But in terms of like, actually, when I was doing the preview last night, I ended with the women's 3,000. I mean, I went 8, 15, 3. And I, I am really excited for the women's 3,000 because I cannot predict what's going to happen. Like for a lot of these races, like I kind of know. Like women's women's um 800, Keely Hodgson is going to win it. Women's 1,500, uh, Gudolf Sege is going to win it. Like, Men's fifteen hundred. I'm pretty damn sure Jacob Ingerson is going to win it. So you've got some super super studs, and it's always fun to watch them. And I'm so pumped for them coming to this meet. So I, I, I'm excited for that. But women's three thousand. There's like four or five. There's five women in there. Any of the five could. I, I can come up with a reason why they win it. I think it's a little bit harder to come up with a reason why Ellie uh, Pierre Saint Pierre wins it than than the other four. But any of these women could win it. And also, that means the two of them aren't even going to medal. So that's kind of exciting to me. Just my brain could not make up its mind on, on who to pick there. Um, and then the men's 3000 is absolutely loaded. I mean, you've got the, the reigning Olympic 10,000 champion. You've got the Olympic silver medals from the steeple. Um, you know, Mark Scott's like an afterthought. And he's run 1257 this year. So sh- should we briefly go through the distance events, John, do you think? Or is that a waste? No, I think we can, as long as we keep it fairly brief. I think we can do that. Well, I also think the th- there are three events, the ones you mentioned earlier. There's not a ton to discuss with them. I guess you can talk about the minor medalists, but women's eight, men's 15, women's 15, we know who's going to win. So I-, I guess let's start, let's go up in order, ascending order of distance. So we'll start with the men's, let's start with the men's 800. This one, I think is the most wide out open event of the entire championships. If you look at the entries, Mariano Garcia, Sorry, Mariano Garcia of Spain is the world leader, 145-1-2. No one's run faster than 145, but there are a bunch of people in the 145s. There's Garcia, there's Bryce Hopple, Collins Kipruto of Kenya, who ran 143 last year. Elliot Giles, 
who's been in good form this year. He's the second fastest man ever in this event indoors. Remember, he ran 143-63 last year. Alvaro Diariba of Spain, he beat Garcia at the Spanish Championships. Isaiah Harris of the United States. And you've got Emil Tuca, who was the World Championship silver medalist in 2019, Olympic finalist last year. He hasn't been in great form this year. Charlie Hunter of Australia, last year's NCAA indoor champion. A lot of different people here. And basically, it's a six-person final. So the prelims are going to be really exciting to watch. There's 25, sorry, 26 guys in the field. Only six make the final. If you make the final, you have a 50% chance of meddling. That's why I think even a guy like Isaiah Harris, I don't know if I'd pick Isaiah Harris to medal, but if he gets in the final, he might have a chance. You know, we've seen Drew Wendell. We've seen Eric Sawinski. We've seen Boris Berrien all medal in this event in recent years. You picked Hopple to win. What was your thinking behind that logic, Robert? I picked Hopple, John, because he's the second fastest guy in the world this year. And he looked amazing the last time out. He won the USA's by more than a second. So that was just super impressive to me. I mean, Garcia, I know that he beat Hopple of Spain at the New Balance Indoor Grand Prix, but he's lost his last two races. So I just wanted to go with the guy who looks the best. Plus, Hopple's gotten fourth in the world outdoors. Um, you know, so just making the final is super, super hard. They were hoping to have, like, you know, this was only they're only supposed to have 18 people in this field. They made the qualifying standard a little bit easier than four years ago, like 0.1 of a second, and now they have way too many people qualifying. So it's just they're going to probably have 25 or 26. They're going to have to put seven seven people in some heats. Like, I don't know. It'll be interesting to see how they do it. By rule, the final has to be run in lanes. I said, but I think you agree with me, we should have four heats of like six or seven per heat and do winners and next two to the final. But I don't want a waterfall start. I think everybody should try to get their own lane and then give the two slowest people in each heat, make them share the lane if there's a seven-person thing because just they, you waste a lot of energy at the start if you're fighting with other people. So, um, you know, and one other person, though, who hasn't run, I think there's six guys under 146 this year, Marco Arop. He looks so good after the Olympics last year from Canada. And he's only run once this year, but he ran, he won in New York a couple weeks ago, 146. I certainly think he could make it, make it, but I went Hopple, Giles, Garcia. Yeah, I think those are pretty good picks. I might be tempted to go Diariba instead of Garcia just because he beat him at the Spanish Championships. Admittedly, I didn't watch that race, but he's coming in on a win at least. Yeah, I think it's going to be interesting. I do get worried a little bit. This is one of the reasons I'm a little worried about Milowebo in the 400 is just. Arop's a bigger guy, and indoors with the tighter tons, I do get worried. It's just harder to get position to find running room. But yeah, this should be a really competitive event. Now, women's 800, I think it's pretty obvious. Keely Hodgkinson, her first race of 2022, she comes out and runs 157.2. It's the fastest time in the world in 20 years in that event. That's all I need to see from her to know she's the favorite here. She is the Olympic silver medalist from last year. She ran 155. She's now ripe 20 years of age and is going for her first global gold medal. I just don't really see anyone stopping her. She has decent 400 speed. She was second at the British champs in the 400. Natoya Gould's in here. She's been running well. She's run 158. Halima Nakai, the 2019 World Championship. She's run 158 this year as well. And Ajay Wilson, who has not run faster than 201 
but she's won all of her races, including a pretty commanding win at the U.S. Championships in Spokane. But I think really it's the battle for second here. Do you agree, Robert? And who do you have in that battle? Do I agree that Skeely's gold? Yes. I mean, I said in the preview, look at the list ahead of her. The number of women that have run 155 that were neither not doped or not intersex and not named out thing Mo. I could come up with maybe one other person and that woman from the Netherlands that won. I mean, maybe I'm missing a few people, but it's extremely tight. So she would be one of the greatest stories ever, but we're kind of not paying attention to it because of our thing Mo. But what I can't figure out about this one is who's going to get the other medals. There's five other women who have broken two flat indoors in their careers. Natalia Gold of Jamaica, Halim and Nakaya of Uganda, Katriana Bissett of Australia, Ajay Wilson of the U.S., and Habitam Alamu of, of Ethiopia. And I don't know. Like You can go back and forth on it. I think I picked – originally I was thinking Wilson's done. Like To me, this is a big race for Ajay Wilson. If she doesn't medal here, I'm starting to think, you know what? We're never going to see peak Ajay again. So last year there was this unspecified injury. This year she's been dominating but not running fast. But as I point out in the in the article, she didn't break two before Worlds a couple years ago and she ran 158 and got the silver medal. So I really would like to see that from her. I picked her for silver, but I'm not real confident in that. Um, you know, goal of Jamaica, I didn't pick her for a medal, but she generally beats Nakaye. She's only lost to her once in her career. I don't know. I, I think I texted you, John, because my brain, my brain couldn't make up a mind. You told me to pick Ajay, so I put her in there. Yeah, I just think she's a proven championship performer. I know last year she didn't make the Olympic final, but in the past when she's got things going, she's usually a pretty good bet to medal, and she's very consistent in general. Again, outside of those two Olympics, which... You know, those are two pretty big exceptions. But this meet, she's gotten the silver loss two times. She would have had the gold if the current hyperandrogenism rules were in place. Francine and Insaba won both of those races. And at USA's, I really liked what I saw. She controlled the whole thing, looked like vintage RJ Wilson, and then had a nice negative split. You know, it, well, yeah, it was a negative split. She went 61.6 and then 60.1. And her last lap was her fastest, 29.14. Olivia Baker was kicking pretty hard in that race, and she didn't come that close to touching RJ. Now, I know Olivia Baker is not nearly as good as some of these women she's racing against, but that showed me, hey, this looks like the RJ Wilson I'm used to seeing. The problem is, even if you took peak 2017-2018 RJ Wilson, you throw her in this race against Keely Hodgkinson, I'm not sure she wins. That... RJ Wilson never ran 157 indoors. So I think the gold medal probably out of the question, but I think she has a pretty good butt to medal. She's still only 27 years old. I know she's been doing this for about 10 years now at the highest level, but you know, there are a lot of, look at Kate Grace. She's in her early thirties and she was still winning diamond leagues last year. So yeah, I'm taking RJ to medal, but I do think Robert, like you said, this is going to be a much bigger test than the domestic field she's been facing. She did beat Ghoul already this year though. At Milrose. So I I think Ajay's probably the silver medal favorite. Yeah. That goal, the fact that Ajay beat her is a good point. I should have put that in the preview. By the way, John has ranked all the Americans 1 to 11 on their medal chances. We'll talk about that in a minute. All right. Uh, men's 1500. Inga Britson, so pumped to see him here. I mean, obviously, heavy, 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 heavy favorite. The, the question I have is 
Does he want to go for the world record? I think there's a forty or $50,000 bonus. Could he do that from the front? I mean, in the past, he's had some help, you know, with Timothy Chariot setting the pace. Or might he try to do something like just work on his tactics, like to run in the pack? I don't think he would do that because I do think he's vulnerable if he lets it go too slow. But it would be kind of interesting if he wanted to, like, just practice something like that toy with the fields in a world indoor championships. I wouldn't risk it if I were him. I wrote in my viewing guide, the only time, well, it's not the only time he doesn't win, but he has gotten in trouble in some recent championships at world outdoors in 2019. And then Euro indoors last year, stepping on the rail, that sort of thing. And look, he got reinstated both times, but I would be worried, you know, the more you just let things go slow and that you're in a pack and you might get boxed in, the more it opens the door for other people to come in. Ingebrigtsen has a good kick, but I don't think he's known as just this guy with an insane final 200. He's more a guy who can run a very even pace and then kick off of that. So an even or an even fast pace is what I'm saying. Like a fast pace and he can still kick on the last lap. So to me, yeah, I would control it from the front. I don't know if he wants to go for the world record or not, but I would try to do, you know, I would try to, if no one else is making it fast, I think he should make it fast. Actually, the more I think about it, my big bold prediction should have been that he gets disqualified. Doesn't an Ingebrigtsen get disqualified every time there's a major indoor championship? And since his, I don't think his brothers are running in this thing, so he's the only one that can do something stupid tactically and get a DQ. Although he seems bulletproof to the DQs. Doesn't he get DQ? Then for some reason they don't, Stick to his DQs, or am I making that up? Well, there's, I mean, there's also some contact sometimes, but yeah, look, he didn't, like I said, he got reinstated in both of those DQs. So but, outside of him... Well, we're acting like he's the only guy. I mean, we actually have the last two Olympic 1500-meter record holders in this because Abel Kipsang, remember him? He was the revelation of last year, runs 331 in the Olympic record in the semi and then runs 329 in the final right behind Josh Kerr, fourth place. This guy's looked great this year. Um, only loss he has is when he went for that world record in the 2000. He still ran 457. So he's super good. Samuel Tefero, the old world record holder indoors, is in there. If you convert Ollie Hoare's 350 mile, it's actually right equal to Tefero's 1,500-meter time. So I kind of I think – and then um, view those as, as sort of, I think, the, the four most likely people to medal. And I left – Ollie Hoare off the meddling. I think that's a mistake, Robert. I think Ollie Hoare is going to be meddling. And yeah. I bet what scared I, you off is that he got beat at the 10 by Jordy Beamish. And you're thinking if he got beat by Jordy Beamish in 1500, how is he supposed to meddle at Worlds? Well, look, you got to think of the context here. Ollie Hoare ran that race to pace Jordy Beamish to the World Championship standard. He did not care if he got beaten in that race. His goal was to try to run, run sub 335 for his teammate. And yeah, he got overhauled by a big kicker in the final straight. But that really, that doesn't worry me that much because Ollie Hall wasn't going to that race to win or to run really fast for himself. He was basically, it was just a practice to set up something up for his teammate. So he's been running well this year. That big win over Josh Kerr at Milrose. Josh Kerr then went on to run 348 in the mile. Josh Kerr is an Olympic bronze no. medalist. So yeah, I have... The podium is Ingebrigtsen, Kipsang, and Kerr. Oh, sorry, yeah. Ingebrigtsen, Kipsang, Hoare. I'm happy with it. You almost talked me out of it. I was thinking, wait a minute. There oftentimes are a lot of sort of Ethiopian 
1,500 runners that kind of can run like 332 and don't have kicks. So I'm like, ah, oh, yeah, I should have picked Hoare. He's got a big kick. Then I'm like, wait a minute. Tefera is 22. He won World Indoors in 2018. So obviously he has a good kick if he's winning World Indoors. He's run 737 for 3,000. Like, I don't know. Tefera's a better runner than he is. He's well, going to be. Does, it doesn't worry you that he didn't make the Olympic final last year? Well, that's why the lack of kick worried me a little bit, but. Also, we've got one name. I'm surprised this guy's still in the sport. He was around when I started following it back in high school and college. One of the great names in our sport, Gaylord Silly of the Seychelles. He's 36 years old, still going. He's run World Cross. He's done all this stuff. Now he's running World Indoors 1500. 356 personal best, so it might be tough for him to make the final, but still going strong at 36. All right, women's 1500, good officer guy, Will Ruckerhilder. She's got like seven seconds on the field. She's going to win. The question is, who gets the other medals? And you know, the next best person is like 402. you got Oxzumayat and Baye of Ethiopia. If you convert Josette Norris's time down, she's right there too at 402. you got Winnie and um, Heather McLean can medal. Lyndon Hall. you got a sub-four woman from, from Japan, Nozoma Tanaka. But... I ended up with my medal picks as Segei, Josette Norris for silver, and Mashesha, the third Ethiopian in this race. She's only 21 years of age. I liked her better than the other people because she's run 402 to 403 three times this year, which is pretty good. No one else has really run faster than that. And last year at age 20, she ran 359. So I feel like she's on the up. Some of these other women, I don't know, there aren't that many women in this field I think are capable of breaking four minutes. She clearly is. But... Uh, I don't know. I mentioned, I teased it earlier. You rank the U.S. Olympians, one, I mean, world championship team members, one to 11 in terms of, of their medal odds. And there was a glaring mistake in it. I started a message board thread about it, John. I mean, I agree with your list 100% except for one thing. Do you know what your mistake was? Okay. Well, the fact that you bring it now, I suspect that this would be the thing you had issue with it. And I myself actually considered change picking Josette Norris over Helen McLean. I assume that's what you're saying is that Josette Norris has better med- right. medal odds than Let Helen me McClain. go with the list here. We're going to start with most likely, or should I count it down? Go from least likely to most likely. Least likely to most likely to medal for the American mid and distance squad. Dylan Maggard, men's 3000, Sam Prankel, 10, Alicia Monson, women's 3000. I almost put Alicia as a medal favorite, but we'll get to that. The women's 3000 is loaded. She's not going to medal. Josh Thompson, men's 1,500. I don't view that as a 0% chance because he's got a good kick. Um, Olivia Baker, women's 800. If she makes the final, as John said, half the field makes it. Isaiah Hare, same thing, men's 800. Ellie Perrier, St. Pierre, women's 3,000. Then he's got Josette Norris, fourth, women's 1,500. Heather McLean, third, women's 1,500. Bryce Hobble, Ajay Wilson. I love the list, but I'm putting Josette Norris probably at second or first on this list overall. I mean, I know Heather McLean beat her at USA's, but remember on the podcast last week, I've taken Heather McLean off the Olympic team, put Josette Norris on it because Josette would have beaten her last year, even though she lost to her this week. I'm kidding people, but I don't know. I just feel like this race is not going to dawdle. I don't think you're going to have Segei going at some point. It's not going to be super tactical. I think Norris is fitter. The McLean. Well, yeah, but you, you're just papering over the fact that Josette Norris got beat by Heather McLean at USA's. And I know it wasn't by very much. I know that based on last year, Josette Norris you know, probably had the more 
certainly on the on the European circuit, had the more impressive season, even though Heather McLean made the Olympic team. She's run faster 359. But I also think Heather McLean's capable of running a lot faster than she has this year. Like earlier this year in New York, I think, you know, she mentioned that she had been dealing with uh, this mysterious surgery. It took her a little bit she had an organ removed that took her a little longer to come back than she wanted to. But USA, she looked on her game. She has a that showed how dangerous her kick is in that race. So I don't know. I think it's close. I, again, like a, a big part of me said Josette actually does have better odds to medal than Heather McLean. But I ended up going McLean because she won at USA's. But I, I do want to say, like, Robert, you posed this query in our Google Doc for our preparations. Is John learning disabled? I don't think it's that glaring, glaring of an oversight to say that the U.S. champion has better, better odds to medal in the event where she beat another runner. I don't think that's like this insane, glaring error. It's a, more of a difference of opinion is the way I see it. Yeah. My brain's just not recomputing. Re- re- I should acknowledge the fact that Heather McLean, you're an Olympian, and you are the U.S. champion, and you beat Ellie Pierre St. Pierre in the process. So... That's going to be, you know, an exciting an event for for sure. Just because, you know, with the, with the U.S. medal hopes, and then let's go to the men's three thousand Olympic ten thousand meter champion Solomon Berega, Omicha Germa, the Olympic silver medalist in the steeple, Berahu Aragawe, who ran seven twenty six twenty in his only three thousand this week this year, almost beat Daniel Coman's race. By the way, remember folks, he beat Grant Fisher last year. He beat Grant Fisher again after the Olympics. Um, you got European record holder Adele McCall who's run 7.30. And then, uh, I think a few weeks ago I said Kenya has nobody. That's not true. Jacob Kropp of Kenya has run 7.31 this year. Um, there's another Kenyan, Daniel Samuyu, who's run 12.55 last year. Mark Scott's run 12.57. Yeah, this is a great race, Robert. This is my pick for the distance event of the meet because up top, you've got the three super fast Ethiopians, Berahu Aragawi, like you said, Diamond League champ, fourth of the Olympics last year in the 10K, Lamecha Goma, who is the Olympic and world steeplechase silver medalist, who's run 727 for this distance last year, and then Salomon Berega, who has run 726 for this distance last year, all of them have run 7.30 or faster this year. There's a very realistic possibility that they go 1-2-3, and that's never happened at the World Indoor Championships in any event. Because recently, until recently, you could only enter two per event. But now, if you win the World Indoor Tour, you get a wildcard entry. Ethiopia got that. They have three. They could go 1-2-3. I guess my first question to you is, do you think they team up and try to make this a fast race considering they all have the fastest PBs in the field? That's actually an interesting question because sometimes I think, you know, their English isn't often very good. We don't really know their training dynamics. Do they train together? You know, it's not like we we know who's on the OAC or who's on the Brooks Beast, et cetera. They don't generally seem to do that much team tactics. I think it'll be every man for himself. Um well, that's not totally true. I remember 2016 Olympic final, Dejan Gebremeskel was telling me they tried team tactics, and then I'm not sure if it was Gebremeskel or the other Ethiopian in the field, but one of them didn't do it. It's not like, like I I do recall that at least once in that race, and thing, I think they've tried it in a different race as well. They have, you know, it wasn't the same three guys, 
But I wouldn't be shocked if one of them looks at this and concludes, hey, it might be in our best interest. But on the other hand, Goma closed in like 25-8 when he ran his 7.30 early this year. Selmon Borrega, we saw how big he he was not far behind Goma in that race, and we saw how big his kick was in the Olympic 10K final last year. I mean, the bigger issue here for everyone else in the field is these are three guys who can run fast and kick. They're very well-rounded athletes, all three of the Ethiopians here. So it's going to be tough to beat them in any style of race. And yet, we've talked about this before with Ryan Hill meddling in 2016 with Jordy Beamish winning Milrose. It's harder to close much faster than about 25-5 in a 200, no matter how slow the pace is. You know, it's just a lot of guys can't run a lot faster than 25-0 after running 14 laps, you know? So if it gets really slow, you know, if the winning time's eight minutes or something or like in the 750s, then it comes down to positioning. And I think there are a bunch of guys. Adele Maycall was fifth in the Olympic 1500 final last year. We know Jordy Beamish of New Zealand can kick, as shown at Milrose. Mark Scott, he's going to be in the mix. He's run 12.57. I think if the pace goes a little slower, it's going to be very interesting to see how things shake out, and it's going to be a big battle for getting in position and who can close a little under 26 seconds. Because if you can close under 26, you probably got a pretty good shot at meddling. Yeah, and I think a lot of guys can, but you're right. That's a good point. If you're behind, good luck, because you're going to run extra distance. So it's just you'd be running the equivalent of a 24, you know, so it's super hard to do. I, I, I just, yeah, if the, if, if the Ethiopians are on their game, I think they're going to go one, two, three. But I didn't know what to think of Aragawe because he hasn't raced since that 726. I thought that was weird. You know, it actually reminds me a little bit of Jared Nagus at NCAs. He only ran one event at ACCs. I'm like, wow, they're really babying him. He's only, but then we found out he's been banged up. So has Aragawe been banged up? If so, I think that's a big red flag. If he's been just training, then I think he's going to win. So since I didn't know, I left him off my medal things. I went with Borrega. Like Borrega and Gurma have been separated. They've raced three times. It's been like 0.1, 0.2, 0.3. Borrega won the last run. Plus he won the Olympic 10,000 final. So I feel like he knows how to win. Um, whereas Gurma seems to always be getting second in, the, in these championships. So that's why I went. I left uh, Aragawi off just because I'm assuming he's kind of been hurt. I picked Krop for third, which I don't know why. But, you know, one thing that's interesting is we think, oh, Ryan Hale won a medal, and we think, oh, it was watered down. It wasn't watered down. I listed the names of the guys that he beat in that race. Augustine Choge, Ecuador, Caleb Ndugoki, Paul Cholimo, Isaiah Kowicz, Mohamed, Yanu Almaru. I mean, maybe those, some of those guys weren't in peak fitness at that time, but at some point in their career, all of those guys ran incredibly well. So, um you know, that, that's going to be a cool race. Let's go to the women's 3000 because, as I said earlier, I just think this is super cool as well. Like, five women Daiwat Sayam, 823. Ishigat Taya, 826. Ishigat Taya, you may not know her. She was fifth in the Olympics. She ran like 14, 14 last year, like 20. It's crazy. She ran 14, 19 on the roads. Um, you know, they're in there. Lim Lim and Hailu's also run 830. 829 in the past. Um, and then you've got Gabrielle Deuce of Stanford of Canada and Ellie Pierre, I mean, and Ellie Pierre. And neither one of them is broken 830, but both could. I mean, if you convert 
Gabriel Dubuque Stafford's time down to 3,000 or 1431. It's like an 822, which I is super good. And I, th- I think Ali Peria can also run under 830. Yeah, no, it's, it's a really, really good field here. I think it's pretty similar to the men's 3,000. The Ethiopians aren't quite as dominant here. And yeah, I do think that GDS and PSP, the North Americans, have legitimate medal chances, especially we saw how quickly they closed at the New Balance Indoor Grand Prix 29-0 for GDS and then at USA's in a slightly slower race, 28-8 for Paria-St-Pierre. You picked GDS to win this race, Robert, which I view as bold, but at the same time, I kind of wanted to pick, to pick it too. Now, you got to keep in mind, DeWitt Sayum, her 8.23 this year, I think that's it's either second or third on the all-time list. It's very high up there. So if she can somehow run that fast at the World Champs, it's going to be tough to beat her. But at the same time, like GDS ran, she split 8.30 for the last 3K of her 5K. So wouldn't shock me if she can run significantly under 8.30 if she's got someone like Sayum towing her along. Her kick, Shalane Flanagan's basically telling me, yeah, she can just kick off basically any pace. So I do. I think I'm going to back you. I think I would. I'll pick GDS for the win. But wouldn't shock me if Sayum and Ty go one two. Wouldn't totally shock me if Ellie Puria Saint Pierre wins this race. I think between those two, I, I definitely favor GDS. But it's going to be really fun to watch. I'm definitely excited to see this race as well. And then Lem Lem Hailu, the third Ethiopian. We didn't mention her. She doesn't run a 3K this year, but she has run 402 for 1500. So she's not to be totally discounted either. Yeah. One thing I'm going to tell you, I mean, she's only run that one race, 826. Been training for a month. Has she been healthy? Because again, if that 1414 fitness comes out, I don't think anyone's touching that. All right. Well, those are the distance events. There are a few other things I wanted to mention. I mean, Grant Holloway running at World Championships. I'm always going to be interested to see what Grant Holloway does. He's never lost in this event, the 60 hurdles over 42-inch barriers, 47 for 47, including prelims. I expect him to win. I think the world record is certainly in jeopardy. He has stated himself he doesn't think it's that fast, 729. So I'm going to be really excited to see him. I'm excited to see the pole vault. It would have been kind of cool, actually, if they had done something like they did in Portland in 2016. The first night, it was just the pole vaults. I think that would have been really fun to try in Belgrade because you have two good ones here. You've got, in the women's event, Sandy Morris, she was the World Indoor Champion from 2018, silver medalist at Worlds and the Olympics in 16, 17, and 19. But she didn't have a good year last year. She got hurt at the Olympics, didn't make the final. And then she changes coaches to Brad Walker, who is the coach of Katie Najat who was last year's Olympic champion for the U.S. Now they're squaring off in the pole vault final at World Indoors. Uh, it's made a little easier because the Russians are not competing. You know, Anzelika Sidorova, who was the world champion in 2019, she would have been favored here, I think. But all Russians have been banned because of Russia's invasion of Ukraine. So that's a fun battle. And then in the men's pole vault, look, Mondo Duplantis, he just broke the world record at this facility couple of weeks ago he's in the best form i think any pole vaulter has ever been in he's clearing six meters you know with ease 
in most of these meets. And then he's just going off to you know even higher world records every time. So he'll be going for 620 maybe at some point. But I will say this. 2019, I pointed this out in my preview. Mondo had just broken the collegiate record, vaulting six meters at SECs. Goes in. Everyone expects him to win NCAAs. Well, there's another very good pole vaulter from the University of South Dakota, Chris Nilsson, who upset him and won the pole vault at the 2019 NCAA Outdoor Championships. Now Nilsson is the Olympic silver medalist, and he's already cleared. Uh, he's set two American records already this year, 602, and then most recently 605 two weeks ago. So is he on Mondo's level? No, but you know, if Mondo misses his first attempt at one of these one of these bars, that could give Nilsson the edge. I don't think Nilsson will win, but I'm excited to see what happens. So th- those two pole vaults are going to be pretty good. And then the one other event maybe that's worth monitoring. I mean, we got Ryan Krauser in the shot put. We've got Yulamar Rojas in the triple jump. Those were always on World Record Watch with those two. But I guess there are two others I wanted to mention. One is the women's long jump. That's got Ivana Valletta, formerly Ivana Spanovic. She's the reigning world indoor champion. And Carl Dennehy, friend of Let's Run, he was telling me when they had the European indoors in Belgrade back in 2017, the place was rocking for her. She's Serbia's best athlete. She's their best shot at gold. She's going to be competing in the final session on Sunday evening. I think the crowd, if they get really get behind her, that her attempts in the long jump will be fun to watch. But the other event that's really going to be good is the last event of the entire meet. And it's the men's 4x4 relay. Donovan Brazier is not running the 400, open 400. Pete Julian has said that, he told me, it's a tight schedule. Yeah, Making the relay was his priority all along. If he were to run the open 400s, that would be a lot of races in a short time frame for someone who is not accustomed to it. Now, for the record, the prelims and the, and the semis are on the same day, that Friday morning at 11 a.m. and Friday evening at 7, 10 p.m. Then the final is the next day, Saturday at 8, 10 p.m. All of those are local times. Are you buying this too many races excuse, Robert, or do you think Brazier should be running the individual 400? No, I'm not buying the – well, I do think there's a chance he gets hurt. But why would he run it? He's not going to be competitive at it. Did you see him at USA's? He was way back. I, I can't believe you're into the 4x4. I mean, I guess it ends the meet. But, I, I mean, I, I'm kind of excited to see what he runs, I guess, with a running start. But it's not a, it's, it's not a big event for me. I'm well, glad, well, though, that you tried to make he, it interesting. A bunch of teams could win. Here's the other thing you, about the 4x4, Robert. I just wanted to mention – the times I added up the seed times for the top four, the top three teams, the U.S., Spain, and Netherlands, three hundred four forty eight, three hundred four fifty, and three hundred four fifty three. When you add up the season's best of their top four legs, that to me says it's going to be very close. And you have a rooting interest. You don't have to root for the United States here because former Heps champion Bruno Hordolano Roig is on the Spanish team. And where did he compete? Cornell University. So I thought you might be interested in that Brazier and one of your Cornell athletes squaring off, but I guess not. Okay. I didn't know Bruno was in there. Viva la España. Now I'm into that. Well, that's exciting. Bruno's a great kid. I mean, John, you should write a feature on him. He was in a car accident. He like, lost a toe. Like his legs were almost shot off. He's, he's back. European, former European champion in the 200. So yeah, it, I can't wait to see the whole, the whole thing. I mean, folks, we're risking life and limb. I mean, uh, I, don't, I don't think we've told anyone. Go right now to the U.S. To travel, travel.state.gov. Type in Serbia. Serbia, level four. Do not travel. Do not travel to Serbia 
it says right now. So we're ignoring the State Department guidelines, John and I, to bring you the coverage. So you want to be listening every night. John, maybe we should do a video show right when we get there, 6 p.m. on would that be Thursday? It'll be Thursday evening. Six p- I think that could work out. I, Robert, I, have, I want you to make a prediction right now. How many other U.S. journalists will be at World Indoors? Besides myself, one. Well, not counting me. Zero. You think we'll be the only two? Like that actually flew from the U.S.? I feel like, like Gene Cherry from Reuters might be there. Or I'm trying to think who else would be there. I don't expect a large contingent. I bet there's at least one other American, though. Now, it says do not travel, folks. Don't worry. Technically, that has nothing to do with the war. That is due to COVID-19. This is from September for some reason. They haven't updated it. But there is, John, I can't find it because we've been going back and forth with the Army people. I thought it said something about there's known to be violence at sporting events. I can't find that actual line right now. While you look for that, I will just remind myself, do not display signs of wealth, such as expensive watches or jewelry. Well, I never do that. Oh, here it is. Violence is associated with organized crime and high-profile sporting events in Serbia is common. So, yeah, I mean, look, is World Indoors a high-profile sporting event? Yeah, but I kind of assume this meant like big-time soccer matches or something where like you have ultras and big, you know, they really get into it. I, I don't know. I've never been to Serbia. I don't know much about the country. Robert, you were asking me earlier, like, do, do you think credit card use is widespread in Serbia? This is a developed nation, Robert. Yes, credit. You can use credit cards. I don't think that's going to be a problem. But they use yeah. cash more there more often than most of Europe. That's all I was saying. No, I'm super excited. We've got a tour to learn more about the city on Saturday. I, I no, I love going to different places. Um, I yeah, this, I mean, I just I had no idea like this. Do not travel. I'm like because of COVID, really. And then the violence, yeah, that could be just soccer hooligans. I, I did read somehow that some of the gangs are associated with the soccer teams over there. So, knock on wood. Well, I don't want to jinx myself. Hopefully it's safe travels for both of us, John. Okay. Elsewhere in the running world, a few other stories worth noting. We had going up against, you know, one week after the Tokyo Marathon over the weekend, we had the Nagoya Women's Marathon. And the interesting thing about this is you had the fastest, the biggest first place prize in the world of marathoning, $250,000 for a woman, this woman's Ruth Chepengedich wins it. She's the reigning world champion from Kenya, 217.18. So she's now second on the all time women's only list behind only Mary Katani's 217.01 from London in 2017. And I found this, you know, it's pretty interesting. It wasn't a personal best. She's actually, she ran 217.08 back in Dubai in 2019. She won Chicago last year. Does she factor in to the world's greatest marathon discussion after this? Or do you just say, well, Bridget Koskai ran a minute faster. Chep and Gettich dropped out of the Olympics. We already know that Jocelyn Jep Koskai and Janet, Jan, and, um, Perez Jepchirchir rank ahead of her. To me, she I slot her in probably at four behind those other three Kenyans, Kosgai, Jepchirchir, and Jep Kosgai. Yeah, for current best marathoners, yes. But they, you know, I think that they're all really good. So, you know, in society, we often complain like the rich have too much money, but we do the same thing in sports. First place here, $250,000. Second place, I mean... It's not like Lona Chimtai Salpeter is terrible. She's now run sub 
224 times. She's tied for second most in history. She gets second. She gets 50,000. All right. Other news item that just came out on Tuesday was the Newbury Park. We already knew they were going to try to run pen relays. I have been lobbying for that. Well, I haven't really been lobbying to anyone. I've just been sort of throwing it out to you in private. They should be running the Championship of America four by mile. I don't think they'd win that race, but I think they would get a good test. They definitely. I think they'd beat a couple of college teams. I think it would be fun to see. Instead, it came out that they are going to be running a pro section against the On Athletics Club and against Empire Elite and then against an all-star team from Ireland where they haven't announced the full legs for it yet. To, to me, look, it's I guess it's cool. On's going for the world record, so you know that's, that's going to be interesting. But we know that Newbury Park is not going to be close to OAC in this race. They're probably not going to be close to Empire Elite because if you look, Empire Elite has got Colby Alexander, who's run 352 this year, Eric Holt, who's run 356, Ben Allen, 401, and then Luciano Fiore, 407. So maybe they could make up some ground on that Fiore leg, but I'd say Fiore's probably, I mean, I guess his PB is a little slower than Aaron Solomon's, but I would see, I don't really see uh, the high school as Newbury Park beating them. And then Ireland's team is incomplete at the moment, so I can't really make a full judgment on it. What I would really like to see, I, I think this would be way more interesting than me than a four-by-mile, is... You put Colin Solomon, heck, throw in Lex, Leo, and Aaron, if they want to join as well, into a race with Nicholas Griggs, who is the new Irish phenom. He's run 356 and 757 this season. He's 17 years old. He would be a junior in high school if he was in the American system. He's been running really great right now. He pushed Andrew Koskarin to the line recently in a race, in a mile race, where he ran 356. And Koskarin, remember he beat Colby Alexander to win the New Balance Indoor Grand Prix mile. So I would love to see Ireland's best versus America's best, Griggs versus Colin Salmon. Do you agree, do you agree that's more interesting than a four-by-mile, or, you, or you're happy with, to see them in the four-by-mile? wasn't really paying that much attention. You want this Irish guy to come race them in a high school mile, John? Mile or 3K, either one. I think that's more interesting than see them run a distance that we just saw them smoke all the high school teams at – the national championships in New York. I like that they're trying to make a, an individual sport a team sport, but and I'm glad that apparently On's going to be sponsoring Penn. They're trying to make a big deal with Penn. I think we, again, I think we need more events. But why couldn't one of the events everybody did just be world indoors? It's like again, people want to do what's in their own interest. Oh, they want to do support a meet that their shoe sponsor is sponsoring and supporting. So we need to get more details here. Like I really just want a Newberry Park in the short term to be in the college championship section. Like. Just do it a one-off deal. I, I get it. You don't want to have teams angling to get in the college section normally. But now the college team is going to be like, well, the high school teams can run in the pro section. Why can't we? But then if you get rid of the college four-by-mile, what if in a couple of years they no longer have this pro open thing? Because, again, I think it's cool that all these guys are going to show up and do this on Friday night and then we're having it. But is this is someone – I'm just reading. There's a four-page message board throughout. I haven't had time to read it. been so super busy getting back from NCAAs and trying to get ready for world uh, indoors. Is, is this going to be a consistent thing? Are teams always going to be interested in this? I mean, if they get the four-by-mile world record this year, are they going to come back next year? Like, you know, you don't want to decimate the college section for a pro event that's not going to exist in two years. Did, so, did I hear you – did you criticize On for not going to World Indoors? Is that what you said? 
I'm just curious as anybody not going to World Indoor. Because I would be, I would say the On Athletics Club has actually done pretty much better than any, well, most pro groups in sending people to World Indoors because they've got Hoare, they've got Beamish, they've got Monson. Joe Klecker, I think, would have run an indoor season if he was healthy. Morgan McDonald's injured right now. So, or coming back from injury. So I, I, w- I will give them credit that that best. Well, I guess they're doing it all. Then they're doing well, world indoors and this. So yeah, I just was kind of throwing out their pro teams in general. So maybe they're maybe they, they're what we need. Um, I mean, they've. I was about to say it's been really easy to, to promote them. I guess they did reach out to us and sponsor the website. So maybe that's why we're promoting them. But hey, people, if you're not press scared, we like to talk to you. Well, I will say this: it's easier to promote athletes when you race more often. If you're talking about these these guys because they're racing a world championship or a U.S. national championship, or Milrose, you know, these are the meets that we tend to talk about. And if you're going to pop, constantly popping, popping up these meets, you're going to get more press attention naturally. But Newberry Park, can we just say, how, I mean, they're really incredible. I mean, 16, 19, I wonder what the average, like how far off you are normally your PRs. Because the, the, the leadoff guy only ran like 4.11. His PB this year is like 4.01, isn't it? 4.03, I mean. Yeah, well, that's I didn't look. I, I'm not actually sure if people were disappointed in this performance or anything like that. But when they ran this, I I view it a as a terrific performance, but also b that yeah, sixteen twenty nine. They destroyed the national record. The splits were four eleven for Aaron Solomon, Leo Young four oh six, Lex Young four oh seven, and Colin Solomon four oh three. And people are probably thinking, well, wait, Colin Solomon just ran three fifty eight. You know, these guys they've run four oh one, four oh two, four oh three. Why are they so far off their PRs? Well, it's really hard to do when you're running alone, trying to push the pace. Like Colin Salmon, there's a reason why I think almost every sub four by a high schooler has been run in a race with pros in it. I'm thinking Jim Ryan was maybe, did Michael Slagowski run in his race? I'm trying to remember if he had pros in his or not. Leo Doshbach, I don't think had pros when he did it. That was, you know, early in the summer after he graduated. But yeah, it's tough to run fast when you're alone. So I don't think that performance is in any way like, oh man, they didn't run faster than we thought they could have. Four, I mean, to have your slowest guy on a high school team at 4.11 at three guys 4.07 or faster in just that one relay, it's pretty pretty nuts. And we know that they've run faster in the open races. Anything else to discuss, Robert, before we board our flights to Belgrade? Small chance I still don't go, John, or may come a day late. My son's been sick all week. We're hoping that he can go back to school tomorrow. Otherwise, no one's here to take care of him. Um, Yeah, I just was looking through the notes. I don't think we mentioned the name Brandon Miller. I meant to mention him at the beginning. Like, what will we remember in five years? This guy won NCAA title. I think he's going to be very, very, very good. So I, I meant to mention him with Noor. I knew I forgot something. That's what it was. Also, when I was doing the research of Abel Kipsing, and realize, remembering how good he was. Remember, he beat Timothy Chariot at the Kenyan Trials last year. He was third, and Chariot was fourth. And people were like, why aren't they just putting Chariot in the team? Immediately, because they had a discretionary spot. And now we realize Kip Sang was actually pretty good. So there's a reason why you want him in the Olympics. But there was a guy by the name of Kamar Etiang. And we haven't seen him race this year. But I was thinking, didn't he win the trials or get second? Like, this guy could be a name that we're not even thinking about for outdoors. Because so, if he was better than Kip Singh last year, what's he going to do this year? Just if I, if he's a big star, say I told you so at the beginning of the thing. But no, now it's time, folks. Subscribers only. 
I will. Everyone else will see you soon in Belgrade. But subscribers only, I will now tell you how I was afraid I was going to get canceled in my, my conversation on the flight. So here we go.